The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb went first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to your God and my God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. Grace and peace to you from our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Every summer when I was a kid, our family would drive from our home in the Baltimore suburbs out to the country to our annual family reunion at my great-uncle George's farm. Uncle George and his wife Betty owned a small farm in Howard County, Maryland, where they raised chickens, pigs, and steer, and grew all manner of crops and vegetables. It was an entirely different world for a suburban kid like me. At that time, my dad worked downtown, so we were very much oriented to the city. And the reunion was decidedly more country than we were used to, with so many relatives and first and second and third cousins, all confusingly named Ella May and Anna May and some version of May, And I remember one of my lasting impressions is that they used to fry chicken in an old oil drum and that it was delicious. But my favorite thing about those times was walking around that farm with my Uncle George. He was a big man with a kind soul and an infectious laugh, and he absolutely loved the farm. He'd show us the chicken coop, let us throw slop to the pigs, 
and take us around the hayfields on his tractor. I remember once watching him feed his favorite bull right out of the palm of his hand. For a kid from the suburbs, Uncle George's farm was an entirely foreign and yet delightful place. Even as a kid, I recognized the great care that Uncle George took with the farm. Vegetables were planted in just the right spot for the proper amount of sunlight and the most nourishing soil. Every inch of the hayfield was used to grow feed for the animals. And the front hall of the great old farmhouse was filled with food shelves and freezer chests, ensuring that none of the harvest would go to waste. I could recognize even then that my Uncle George lived very close to the mysteries of life, attuned to the cycles and seasons of the earth, persistent in his care and tending of the land and the animals. When we visited that once a year, we saw all the fruits of his labor, but it was his love, dedication throughout the year that was responsible for bringing forth that abundance. And I think of my Uncle George today as we hear about Mary Magdalene's experience at the empty tomb, where she mistakes Jesus for, of all things, a gardener. According to John, Mary Magdalene was the first person to arrive at the tomb, only to find it empty. She runs back and tells the disciples, Peter and John, and they come and look for themselves and then leave. She alone remains. It is then that she encounters the two angels in the tomb and then meets Jesus, although she doesn't recognize him. One commentator suggests that perhaps tears have blurred her vision to heavenly interventions. Of course, she wasn't just crying because Jesus wasn't in the tomb. That was only the final indignity. She was crying for all that had taken place in the previous days. Jesus arrested, tried, beaten, made to carry the cross onto which he would be crucified. She cried for his suffering and her suffering, his death and her heartbreak and shattered hopes. She is crying for herself, for Jesus, and for everyone who loved him. She is crying at that moment because in that moment, all seems lost. But then Jesus speaks her name, and she immediately recognizes him. She calls out, falls at his feet, and then tells the disciples what has happened, preaching that very first Easter Sunday sermon, I have seen the Lord. In her book, Good Enough, which we read for our Lenten book group this year, Kate Bowler notes that it is a curious thing that Jesus should appear as a gardener, and she wonders what it might mean for both the story and for us. She observes gardening, like farming, requires a certain kind of hope, envisioning new life in the midst of despair and death. Gardeners toil and trowel, pluck and prune, all for a single bloom. The very act of gardening is an act of hope. It's the exact hope that Mary was hunting for that first Easter morning. Maybe this gardener looks like he knows something about hope, hope that Mary desperately needs. A gardener, like my Uncle George, knows the kind of hope it takes to sow a seed in the ground, to cover it with manure, to bury it in the cold winter dirt surrounded by naked trees, to leave it be for months, trusting that with the right amount of water, air, and time, something new will be born out of a single seed. This gardener knows the hope it takes to believe that through the death, 
the freezing, the fire, the floods, the darkness, the crushing, the consumption, the waiting, even there, new life can be born. A radical moment of new life bursting forth from seeming death. She says, maybe this is what it means to be an Easter person, to see Christ and think gardener, not as a mistaken identity, but a prophetic one. The seed in the ground, the body in the tomb, this is a picture of defiant hope. All of the labor and sweat and love and precious time for a single bloom, delicate and bold, brief but memorable. Alleluia indeed. This is the same hope that we have come here today to hear, to know, and to feel. To hear again how suffering and death are not all that this world has to offer us. That we too can find hope in our sorrow, joy in the struggle, life after death, peace beyond war, love beyond hate, and meaning in the mundane. We've come to hear the story again to know hope and to be inspired to live in that hope. To have the tears that we have accumulated in this last year wiped away from our eyes so that we can see God's heavenly interventions, which are all around us, and realize that we don't have to go out looking for them because they have already found us. This weekend, Jews around the world observed Passover, the annual observance in which they recount the story of the Exodus. We Zoomed with our Jewish family in Canada yesterday to celebrate. And Jenny's aunts and uncle host the Passover Seder, and they assign us all parts from the Haggadah, the liturgy for the Passover meal. And every year they incorporate new material. So the ancient Hebrew prayers of the Haggadah are joined with modern writings and media. And this year they included an article written just a few days ago called Zelensky's Prayer by Franklin Four. The article connects the observance of Passover with President Zelensky's leadership in Ukraine. As you know, Zelensky himself is Jewish. And the article says, the Haggadah instructs its readers to tell the story of the Exodus as if they themselves were slaves in Egypt. It demands an imaginative leaf that places those at the table in a chain of events, asking them to vicariously conjure the terror of fleeing the Egyptians, but also the jubilation of liberation. The Seder not so subtly imposes a burden on its participants. Because their ancestors persisted through the worst, the present generation can't be the ones who give up. In other words, he says, the ritualistic retelling of the story of Jewish survival becomes the basis for Jewish survival. In Ukraine, Four says, the story of Zelensky, the story that Zelensky tells is about a community that will prevail thanks to its shared solidarity, neighborly sense of mutuality, and sincere and constant support of each other. In the end, soldiers and their weapons will save Ukraine, but the will to resist is the surprising fact of this war, and that resistance is fueled by a sense that Ukraine might actually prevail in the end despite initial doomsaying. As with Passover, the story of Ukrainian survival becomes the basis for Ukrainian survival. In each case, Four says, the story of survival becomes the basis for survival.
And so it is with us and Christians on this Easter Sunday. The story of Jesus' survival, his passion, death, and resurrection have become the basis for our survival, our hope, our persistence and resistance. It animates our love and service to our neighbor. It reminds us that just as Christians before us have found hope and life in this story and passed it on, we are now the stewards of this story, living it, retelling it, and safeguarding it for future generations. The Easter story places us with Mary in the garden, in one moment despairing about the horrific state of the world, blinded by tears, and in the next confronted with the incredible news of resurrection. And here we find God resurrecting us this morning, resurrecting in us everything that is dead, damaged, and depressed. We find God resurrecting love, love for ourselves, for our family and friends, for neighbors and strangers and enemies. We find God resurrecting all we considered lost and hopelessly broken and had written off. We find God resurrecting and reconciling all things to God's self. This sacred story of Jesus' survival has become the basis and inspiration for our own. And now, along with Mary, we go and retell the story to a world in need of hope, proclaiming again, we have seen the Lord. Amen. Amen.